Hey listeners, Chloe here. If you need to stay as up-to-date with the latest developments and innovations in the luxury industry as I do, you need to dive into Vogue Business. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty, delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive, dynamic industry. Just visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code RUN20 at checkout to join the Vogue Business community. That's VogueBusiness.com, promo code RUN20. Don't miss out. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. This is The Run-Through. I'm Chloe Mel. And I'm Chad Minotti. And this week on our show, we have our wonderful friends at Vogue Runway talking about all the trends they saw on the runway, runway on runway, this past fashion month. And honestly, I've never heard the whole runway crew chat in this way before and really breaking down and distilling the hundreds of shows that they looked at over a month. And I was delighted by it. But first, Choma, I feel like everyone is talking about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. We had the big Buenos Aires kiss this weekend, which I feel like just delighted everyone across the internet. And he was wearing a very notable outfit as always. I mean, he's really the fashion forward one in this couple. I think we can kindly say. Yeah, I think we can say that, right? (laughs) You know, his style is very much like playful, joyful. He likes a cheeky print. I'm one of those annoying people who didn't know who he was before. I only know him as Taylor Swift's boyfriend. I think most of our listeners agree (laughs) with you. So I was very excited because we actually were able to talk to Danielle Salzedo. She is head of strategy at A&A Management, and she works closely with Travis on his outfits. Do not call her a stylist. She is a consultant on his image, and she seems to just be sort of a, a fairy godmother helping him get his looks together. Hi, Danielle. Hi, hello. Hi, Danielle. How are you? Good. It's great to meet you both. You too. You too. So currently in Kansas City in a hotel, yes, because we're shooting a campaign this week for Travis Kelsey's um, latest collaboration with the Chiefs for his brand, True Colors. Um, It's a clothing line. And so yesterday we were shooting in the stadium. Uh, So yeah, that's what brings me out here this time. True Colors, just for people who don't know, is spelled with a K. Can you tell us anything more about True Colors? Yeah, so Travis started the brand, I think, in 2019. It's his initials, True Colors. Uh, And, you know, he has a love for fashion uh, and design and art forms of all kinds. And so he created the brand. The idea was to be um, kind of motivated by the idea of being free with how you express yourself using color, you know, being bold and not really caring what everyone else thinks about your look at that time too. I think he has such a joyful use of color. Is that something that you've always noticed about him since you've been working with him? That it seems like it's part of who he is. There's so many athletes, they tend to wear all black, but he is always in something really colorful. 
No, he he definitely loves color. He definitely makes it a priority to integrate that into his wardrobe. And one of the big things to know is that he does like for his game day moments, he styles himself in general. He styles himself. All I do is help set up the play with certain brands that I know he loves. And we focus a lot on like when you're looking at those red carpet moments, what how can we do something that's different and stand out? Granted, he also loves his classic Tom Ford suits as well, but um, he loves to bring the color and the unexpected and the playfulness and across everything that he does. Sounds like you guys have a very sort of symbiotic relationship that it's it's working together a lot. But how did that evolve and come together? I guess on on brand, we met at Paris Fashion Week in 2019 and we connected and we stayed in touch and then started working with them shortly after. It was um, it was it was a collective synergies, I guess, that brought us all together. Beyond the sort of bigger brands, I know that he's obviously worn Dior and he's worn he's worn Tom Ford, but he seems to really know a lot of the younger emerging American brands, like his champion brands, like Kalina Strada. I mean, how does he find these these designers? The thing to know about him is he genuinely loves fashion, right? Mm-hmm. So he's spending a lot of his own time on the Essence sites or, you know, on the some of the hype sites or whatever, um, Farfetch. And he's literally on there looking at what is the newest brand and then also mm-hmm. what's available in his size. That is probably the hardest aspect to the equation is finding clothes that are in in his size too. So when he sees something that he loves, he's like, you know, even if he hasn't necessarily heard of the brand before, he'll be like, that comes in my size. I love that look. Bye. So the Kalina Strada pants that he wore, he bought them. They weren't custom because he's six foot five. These are not custom pieces. No, not in that instance. No. But um, now we are starting to work a little more closely with brands to have some custom pieces. There's a new suit from an emerging designer that you'll probably see soon. And it came just to give you the idea of how that kind of came together. They sent me the lookbook over from this brand. And uh, and so I sent it over to him and he's like, well, I love that suit, but I don't want it with shorts. I want it with pants. I was like, well, they'll make it for you. He's like, they will. And he was like, that's amazing. You know, and it's actually a golden suit. Wow. And I think a lot of the big brands too are now recognizing the power of athletes and fashion and they're starting to design in particular for the athletes that aren't your off the rack size and your sample size. The other fun one is uh, dress shoes for him. Yeah. What size shoe is he? 14 in sneakers, 15 in dress shoe. <laughs> um, and so you can imagine we're a little more limited in, in that space for sure. So who are his go-to brands for, for shoes? How does he get navigate that? We've found recently the Christian Louboutin dress shoe actually fits him nicely <laughs> and comfortably. He's a, a big fan of the St. Laurent boots. Um, those also fit him, although we'd love if St. Laurent made clothing more in his size. Just that out there, but the shoes do fit him. I mean, of course, we have to talk about that Kid Super Kid Super look that he wore. Kid Super was actually, he's known for his kind of painterly prints and really playful um prince and so he he made this suit that has the silhouette i mean i guess it's like an impressionistic like naked woman i i think it looks like clouds but when you look up close it's like more kind of there's a word for that it's called a pareidolia where you see shapes and clouds so choma there you go oh really that's i love learning that word too (laughs) um 
Travis and, and Colm, they've 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 had a relationship for quite some time. You know, I think Travis was pretty early on in terms of when he started wearing Kid Super uh, long before the Louis partnership happened for him. And so I kind of think the identity of both of them is is such a natural fit. Right. It's so artistic. It's so playful. It's so colorful. Mm. Um, yet it's also cut in pieces that are fairly standard cuts. Right. And they've had a lot of fun just playing together by Travis wearing some of those looks. And, you know, it was funny. I was speaking with um, someone at Ralph Lauren, actually, uh, about a year or maybe a year and a half ago. And they're like, we actually didn't know who Travis was till we saw him come out in that kid super suit uh, jacket press conference. It was a colorful, super colorful jacket. And that jacket was what caught Ralph Lauren's attention about Travis. Huh. Wow. Just for those who don't know, so Colm is Colm Delane and he's the designer of of Kid Super. And he also did a capsule for, he did a, a guest designed a, a Louis Vuitton collection, men's collection. Danielle, would you say that Travis's style has changed at all in the couple of months he's been with Taylor? Has her style changed at all? Travis, I think one of the things about him is he's always authentically himself. You know, he's super confident and comfortable in his own skin that I don't think... Uh, you know, this is necessarily influencing how he dresses. He's always dressed colorful and, and fun and um, expressive. And so I, you know, I, I haven't noticed a difference necessarily. This past Sunday in Buenos Aires, Travis wore that amazing J. Logan home shirt. Can you tell us a little bit about what that that brand is and how you guys found it? And also that they now have a 65% traffic increase apparently wow <laughs> you know it's funny I, so i i can't claim i found it that's travis all on his own really it's funny there's a lot of brand there's a lot of accounts now on social media that there's one that's dedicated strictly to his style and they recently started following me and i've actually found it so helpful because they identify because there's times i don't know exactly what he's wearing because again he does he literally his, those looks uh, that you see him in he he picks them out himself i i'm only amplifying from the from those really big moments with him and um and the the brand alliances however i will say this this morning i woke up to an email from jay logan asking to collaborate um cuz they saw him in that in that uh, in that look, so uh, that's so know. fun. I hear yeah. that. I, from my understanding, Jay Logan, the shirts are all made of vintage scarves, which must make them unique and not readily available. So that's interesting that he found them. Yeah, I think he wore Jay Logan. Uh, there was another shirt that he wore of theirs earlier on in the season, the one with the pink Amiri pants. I read somewhere that he's quite spontaneous with how he plans his his tunnel looks, but. Um, what's he like to work with as far as a red carpet look? Do you have to have five options for him to pick on the night? Or is it something that he's willing to commit to, you know, a couple of weeks in advance? Like the Dior suit he wore on SNL. That happened to be a moment. I'm based in Miami and I was like, I went by the design district store, walked into the store, snapped a photo. I said, what do we think of this one? said, love it. So, and I just grabbed it, put it on the plane, carried it with me right up to New York and, <laughs> and it worked and it fit. Um, it didn't need any tailoring? What? Light tailoring. And right. in that case, SNL's tailors were the one that did it for us. Okay. Mm, um, cool. You know, a lot of the times it's going through Vogue Runway, snapshotting the photos, and then he just gives me the, the heart 
on the ones he likes. And then when he's quiet, that's when I know he's not feeling it. Um, <laughs> and then I secure that look and, um, you know, we make it, we make it happen. I think we did that recently with the, the latest photo that I've seen running everywhere is the Land Vaughn suit he wore to the net. Oh yeah, that was great. I like that one. The, the pastel with the wide leg. He's very much down with the wide leg trend. Super. That was that was definitely, that was what he wanted. He wanted the oversized. He loved the monochromatic. And then the other thing from that note was his mother was his date. And so ah. a few days before I got the call, can we style his mom? And I was like, oh, okay, this is a diff- totally different arena for me. <laughs> but we got this. And then we found, if you've seen the photo of them together, she's in a light, like silvery metallic set. And uh, she had a few options because there are a couple events that week. And I was like, you know, your son will be in that aqua. So if you wear that light sequin, you guys will pair perfectly together. And I was so happy when I saw it. And now I see that photo everywhere. And and I think of that Mm. moment. And what does Travis's closet look like? Obviously, he does a lot of online shopping. I don't know whether you're whether you help him organize that or like, does he really have 300 pairs of sneakers? I've, I've heard that that's the case. He he does. He he does have that many that many. Um and I think now his closet is definitely a priority to him. Uh and uh, I think this is fine to say. He's moving into a new home, as everyone knows. And mm-hmm. now it's about designing the new closets. Ah, that's fun. And um and uh one being dedicated strictly to shoes. Oh, amazing. Yes. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's so fun. Uh, I think with that, we'll, we're going to let you go, Danielle. And thank you so much for chatting with us. Yeah, thank you for that. Happy Super Bowl season. Oh, Happy yeah. Super Bowl season. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And more big news this week. Chloe, you wrote a big story for the December issue about uh, Lauren Sanchez, no? Oh, my gosh, Choma. This has been qu- quite the, the roller coaster. <laughs> you got in a helicopter with her? Yeah, I loved it. Love being in a oh, helicopter I, with I'm her. I'm so afraid of helicopters. I've only done it once. I mean, helicopters are a little scary. I, I felt very safe in Lauren's hands. I mean, this was a real roller coaster ride because, first of all, it was highly secret. Uh, it was constantly referred to as the Texas story um, wow. in, in Vogue meetings. And I went to Texas because that is where Jeff Bezos has a 400,000-acre ranch And it is both where he has a home where he spends Thanksgiving and holidays with family and extended family and also where he does his Blue Origin launches from. So there's the whole Blue Origin space facility is there. And I got to do a tour of it and sit in the test rocket capsule where all the astronauts train for how to go into space. And Lauren Sanchez, his fiancée, who is who the profile was on, she actually is going to space early next year. So that was another— Do you think they're weddings in space? That did not come up. (laughs) It seems like there would be some logistical challenges. The space facility is fascinating because you got to go see where the rocket launches from— the rocket is housed in this enormous barn. One of the photos taken is in front of the rocket. It's called the New Shepherd. They say that when the rocket takes off, it's like a caged animal because it hisses and creaks. Oh and gosh. it just sounds like a insane experience to witness that launch. Um, and is this Astronaut Village? or what, So, no, that that's the different? Blue Origin launch site. And then five minutes drive away, everything is sort of driven around in Rivians, which are the Amazon answer to Tesla, the electronic, uh, the electric 
vehicles. And Never seen one. Never heard of it. <laughs> you zip to place to place on in a Rivian, and uh, Astronaut Village is this cluster of seven Airstream trailers that are kitted out wow. beautifully with, like, Safara linen. The Safara towels, the pattern of it is supposed to mimic the battery uh, design of the, the launch thing. Every Airstream trailer has a collection of vintage books about space. Um, it's very thorough. All the food, the snacks there, it's like moon cheese and space balls. It's very thoughtfully done. And uh, I described it in the article as sort of Oppenheimer meets Amangiri. I love that. It's and like, then, then they were like Oppenheimer and Barbie is there too. I know. The, how would they describe each other? I thought, you got some funny stuff out of them. I they were say. very, I mean, I honestly, I really liked Lauren. I had a really good time with her. And there is something to be said for someone just being authentically who they right. are. And I really appreciate that. I will say that it was one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Just this sweeping wow. desert, these rocky red cliffs. I can't show you any pictures myself because as soon as I landed in El Paso, someone met me and taped up my phone cameras oh my in a very intense way. Security is no joke, especially around the Blue Origin space stuff. There's There was actually a staff lawyer with me at all times to make sure nothing um, proprietary details were revealed. So, I mean, you also write about her involvement with all these charities, including the Earth Fund. And how do you think she personally reconciles like her interest in these causes? Um, I mean, given the fact that, you know, Amazon's own impact on the planet. I asked her that. And I sort of said, you know, you have the largest yacht in the world. You fly private. Mm-hmm. How, how does that equate? And she said, you know, we're thinking big picture. And right. I think they think we're investing right now $10 billion into the environment. Right. And I, I sort of think of it or I, as like a giant carbon credit. When I fly, right. I'll buy carbon credits for my flight. And they cost like $40. I feel like their carbon footprint for an entire year is one of the largest, and so they're justify that with this enormous investment into the Bezos Earth Fund, which is their mm. climate-focused charity. And she does really care about that and is very involved in it. But, of course, there are some glaring contradictions there. Right. I went on a helicopter ride with Lauren, and then we hiked to the bottom of this bizarre but fascinating and fabulous 10,000-year clock. I I still don't get what it is. The idea is that this is something that will live beyond us and future generations and that it will be like a a land art. We hope if we make it another 10,000 years. A land art site where it will move and continue keeping time on its own. And so future generations can visit this and see this clock keeping its sort of powered from solar energy but also has backups. It looked massive. Massive, exhausting. It was 500 feet into the ground. We had to hike down there. Eddie Lewitz did it. Oh, my God. And then um, Jeff, my friend Jeff, um, joined us during our interview, and Lauren said, honey, can you make us some margaritas? It's been a long day. And he went behind the bar, which is in this, like, space-themed bar at Astronaut Village, and the cocktail shakers are rocket-shaped themed that um, Lauren course. found on eBay. 
And he makes us these delicious margaritas. And as he's about to pour them, he's like, we have no salt. I need salt. And like out of nowhere, this like Tupperware container of salt appeared. And he was so delighted by it. I was like, a salt genie. And I uh, I loved this moment. <laughs> you literally went to Planet Bezos. I did go to Planet Bezos, Gemma. That's exactly right. And you made it back in one piece. I'm so happy. <laughs> Barely. Back. The run-through will be back in just a moment. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Maybe a chef-grade range made you want to hone your cooking skills or a high-tech tennis racket made you want to work on your backhand. I recently bought a new pair of running shoes and that made me love hitting the pavement again. Well, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This podcast is supported by Macy's. Mother's Day is May 12th, and Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Shop by price, 25 and under to 100 and under. Category, like fragrances and handbags. Or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything or for grandma. Macy's has all the hottest gift ideas, like Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, Samsung smart TVs, and more. Go to macy's.com slash gift finder to shop. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder today. This is The Run Through. I'm Jose Criado Sonsueta, and today I'm joined by my Vogue Runway colleagues. Would you guys introduce yourself? Would you girls introduce yourselves? <laughs> I'm Nicole Phelps. Hi. I'm Laird Borelli Person. I'm Laya Garcia Furtado. And this is Vogue Runway. With a hyphen. Lots of hyphens. <laughs> yes. uh, today we're going to talk about trends. We're going to talk about trend reports, which is something that we do at the end of every season. Um, Laird creates the ready-to-wear trend report. Laya creates an accessories trend report. And I work in jewelry and menswear. And Nicole edits all. <laughs> Nicole, would you mind telling us a little bit about what trend reports are and how we approach them at Vogue Runway? Ooh, uh, it's a way to uh, put hundreds of collections we see a season in some sort of thoughtful order, I would say. Uh, I think trends are a, a fairly old-fashioned concept, uh, and since fashion has become increasingly more online and and uh, focused on social media, they've 
almost become a, a little irrelevant, I think, because mm-hmm. they move they move too fast for people to actually act on them. They move at the speed of TikTok, and they sort of exist almost only in social media. And so I'm, I'm definitely less interested in those kinds of trends, the things that TikTok births, than I am, uh, you know, in the runway. But even more so, I would say I'm more interested on, you know, living in New York, walking the streets every day, and seeing what is really happening. That that I find super fascinating. I love that. Is there anything you've noticed recently that you're like, oh, this is really happening in New York? Well, um, I predicted that the Mew Mew uh, underpants from spring 2023 would uh, create uh, the summer of underwear <laughs> in New York City. And I don't think I was wrong. I don't think you were wrong either. <laughs> I saw a lot of girls wearing, it's like, are they hot pants? Or they, no, you know, like, like it's their underwear. Right? Their like, underwear. Like we were. Remember when we were at a bar, like a couple months ago. We went to Botanica, which yes. is like a very like classic young people New York bar, and there were two girls wearing little underwear over tights. Yes, just it's like true. Out. It was a very Gen Z moment, and Lai and yeah. I don't really go out. <laughs> we also <laughs> don't go out in the Lower East Side, yes, but we somehow no. ended up there. But Laird, I remember when this happened on the runway, you created a little post about Edie Seedwick, mm. the OG. Would you tell us about that? Well, yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to look at things and not see other things sometimes. Mm-hmm. So for me, the first underwear-wearing girl was Edie Sedgwick, uh, an heiress who had a tragic life. I really recommend there's a oral history of her. It's iconic. It's an amazing book. She came to New York. She became part of Warhol's factory and her fashion changed from very ladylike and proper to something much more Warholian and um, factory-friendly, including tights. And Vogue um, published a picture of her in the 60s in her apartment at Chelsea Hotel, standing on a leather hippo doing ballet exercises in a little T-shirt and her tights, which she would put heels on and go out with big dangly earrings in the evening. I love that. A true muse. This sort of like side comb was a good example of how we approach trends of a runway, right? We sort of look at something, Laird, who's our senior archive editor, she remembers something else, and then we begin a big conversation about how that applies on culture. I think if there's something I've learned writing for Nicole is that we should always look at fashion with a cultural lens, right? So that leads us into the trends we saw this season. And I think based on what you were saying, Nicole, the way we've we've been approaching trend reports is trying to contextualize all of the stuff we see on the runway in culture today. So I'd love for you, Laird, since you worked on the Ready to Wear Trend Report, which is sort of like the big one, um, to tell us how you looked at everything you saw on the runway and decided to distill it into this one story. Essentially, my process is to go through every single picture, and if something makes me tick, something I notice, I just pull, and then... And then you start amassing volumes of things. And so there might be a list of 40 trends. And then, well, okay, what's important? What what speaks? What tells a bigger story? As you mentioned, Jose, Nicole is always encouraging us to connect things when when it makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't force things. But I think, I mean, these are really difficult times. The world, everything is feels in conflict. And so the two big trends I noticed was a lack of color, black and white. And 
in a bigger picture, this is oppositional, but, you know, white is associated with new beginnings and black with death. And I think, you know, we're all longing for a fresh white page, but we are we cannot avoid that, you know, there's gravity in the world, there's sadness, and people are going through it, like even designers. So Jun Takahashi at um, Undercover is going through a period of mourning, and his collection beautifully um, was, you know, worked through that to get to a place of beauty. So shrouded looks, angel wings, a sort of X-ray look at who we are um, physically and 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 metaphysically. Interesting, Laya, you pulled 145 must-have accessories. I did. What is your approach to doing that? Um, it's the same. Looking at all the pictures of every show multiple times is what we do. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it's the same thing as Laird. You know, you look at everything and you're like, well, this trend, you know, happened last season. Or sometimes you're like, well, this trend is like, you know, it's winter. Like, of course, there's boots. Yeah. So it's like, what kind of a boot? That kind of thing. I think something that actually contradicts a little bit what I've said is that flip-flops were a big trend um, for spring. And I think most people would be like, of course, like warm weather, you wear flip-flops. But flip-flops are not necessarily sort of like a usual thing that you see on their runway, like Mm -hmm. very just plain flip-flop basic sandals. So that was sort of interesting because, you know, the girlies love to wear Flip-flops. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Mary-Kate and Ashley love to wear flip-flops on their, in, like, in their everyday life, like yes. Havaianas. And mm-hmm. I recently got a pair, and I just wear them around the house because I don't actually have the guts to... Like, I, mean, I think if you wear the them... New York Street or the grocery yeah. factor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, if you wear them in a place where you, like, get in a car and you drive, like, that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. But, like, absolute, Like, I just cannot. Um, and they do look really cool when I wear them around the house. I'm like, wow, look at my little... Look at my feet <laughs> in these little flip-flops. I look so chic, but... Do you anyway. think it's about exhaustion of Birkenstock? Like, is the Birkenstock moment over and that's why we're in flip-flop? No, you know, I feel like there were actually, like, that was a that was something that I could have pursued in the trend report. But not a Birkenstock per se, but more of, like, the ergonomic footbed yes, sandal. the Granola Girl sandal. Yeah, like, I could have gone in that direction, but I instead, uh, for footwear, flat, category flat sandal, it was a flip-flop and it was the gladiator sandal that was the other thing like which i think is very like of the odds when Mm -hmm. you would actually wrap them all the way up to your like knee it's also very tiktok not only men are obsessed with the roman empire (laughs) yes Yes. exactly (laughs) (laughs) see culture yeah well what's interesting about all of this is that you just mentioned two things that are sort of like coming back right not like not that flip-flops went away but the the people that you've mentioned like for example the olsons are it girls yes and style icons in theory but well, in practice as well. <laughs> but also, like, these images are, yes, today, but they come from the, that era of, like, boho chic, right? Which is mm-hmm. something I particularly notice in jewelry. Like, a lot of festival beads, a lot of sort of, like, raw-cut uh, stones and crystals, etc. So I'm curious, when you see something come back like that, Laird, how do you approach it into a trend report? Do you like to just call it out as a comeback or do you like to package it as something that feels new? Or what's what's the approach? I think what I've learned doing this over the years is trends change less quickly than we think that they do or mm-hmm. then we report them because we're ready for something new. But if a new color is introduced, it will last for several seasons. So, for example, the metallics trend that I wrote about this season, I couldn't ignore it. It was a continuation from Resort. I think probably any single season you could do a 
Metallic's trend, but it was so prevalent, I couldn't overlook it. So it was, how do I make this feel fresh and not, I was kind of bored. But then someone mentioned, oh, the Olympics. And I, okay, you know, it's not that designers were thinking necessarily about the Olympics, but I think trend reports, we all have a human need to organize material. Mm -hmm. We are dealing with thousands and tens of thousands of pictures and anyone coming to the site is looking at hundreds of shows. So how do you organize it? How do you put it in a package that makes it look new or makes a connection that might not be the first thing that you come to mind? And just how do you organize it in a way that's fun and informative? That's interesting. I'm curious, Nicole, on your end, since you edit all these trend reports, how do you approach that? Like when you talk to us individually and we walk you through things that we've identified, what's your process to approach editing us? Obviously, I learn a lot when I when I talk to you all about the trend reports because I don't really go to the shows and think about trends in, in the way that you do. And, uh, you know, I've been in fashion for a, for a very long time. And so you see the, the cycles repeat mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, repeat again. And uh, so I think you can be a little cynical about things, but then, you know, something comes along that surprises you and charms you. Did anything surprise you this season? Well, one thing, um, you know, t- talking about underwear, there were a lot of shorts. There yes. were a lot <laughs> of we were, shorts. We were really scratching our heads about uh, short shorts on the runway. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see if those two emerge as something that people are interested in yes. in real life. Hi, we're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier, and you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru, and you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting store shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Something that I love about um, Nicole's reviews is when she talks about how things look on the runway versus how they would, would they would apply in real life. And I think the shorts is a very interesting thing where you're like, okay, like short shorts look fabulous on the runway, but like these girls, like they don't sit on the subway. Like, so I'm very curious. Lai, I think you wrote about the short shorts, right? I did. What what's what's the take? I mean, I think it was, you know, a continuation of the underwear Mm -hmm. trend. I feel like we're just having, you know, I feel like there's every season designers pick like a body part. I think we're going through (laughs) legs. Like, and we connect this to the hemline index, right? So the hemline index is this theory where in times of economic prosperity, women's skirts, their hems get shorter. Mm -hmm. And when we're in an economic slump, the hems go along. And so maybe that has something to do 
with shorts except I mean things aren't good. So. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the maybe the short shorts have but put it that was, it theory was never to that. Proven. Yeah. But True. Eh, you know, I like to be- I think those things are cutie and I like to believe in them. But maybe maybe it's skirts and not shorts. Like shorts are a different kind of hat. So is there a shorts index? Yeah, it's a shorts like maybe there is a shorts index. But that's also the thing about trends. It's like not like one day you're in, the next day you're out. But I think sort of going back to what Nicole said at the beginning, that there's so much happening Mm -hmm. right now that it's like there is a personal sort of touch that goes into our trends because it's we see, we pick, and Nicole final picks. And I think I feel like that's something maybe important to talk about, that there are some things where sometimes Nicole will be like, you know, (laughs) well, do we need to... In the editor's eye. Yeah, it's, do we need to give true. that our seal, yeah. a seal of approval Like, do we thing? need to get behind this? Yeah, yes. which I love. Well, there's this amazing documentary called In the Editor's Eye, which is about Vogue <laughs> editors that I love. Um, and I used to rewatch all the time before working here. But I think what's interesting is that, which is like, just because something repeats on the runway doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to baptize it as a, like, christen it as a trend, right? And I think, Laird, I love your take on this because of the fact that You go through every single image and every single look that Vogue Runway covers to create, to call your trend report. How do you approach keeping something and being like, I want to include this in like the 11 trends that you wrote about this season and something that you're like, "Mm, maybe this doesn't need to be in it? Well, um, I mean, there are certain things that you can ignore. They're just Mm -hmm. a critical mass. and, um, And if they're not offensive, I mean... By offensive, I mean, <laughs> you know, there are some things that are harder to to get behind than others. But um, there are some things that are a critical mass. And so you're reporting on something that mm-hmm. just just is, you know, everyone's doing this. But then it's like, how do you weigh what's important? And for me, it's always what makes my heart beat faster. So my favorite trend was this super, super tactile um, manipulation of fabric that then brought me to the sculptures of John Chamberlain, um, which were made, they were upcycled um, from car parts. Um, beautiful things. M- many designers have referenced and will reference him. But um, yeah, it was kind of in a, I think we're, there's a lot of celebration of uh, the neo-expressionists mm-hmm. um, uh, in Paris, uh, Rothko and I was reading about uh, Rauschenberg and um, somehow I I was feeling a connection between art and fashion. The white dresses, the filmy white dresses made me think of Botticelli's um, Primavera. And so I was, that was in my mind when I was pulling. There's this attenuated silhouette that made me think of Giacometti. Um, it's not planned, but um, when I have that like little hook to hold on to, and then it just clarifies everything, yeah. then you can see and edit more clearly once you've come to your idea. Um, I don't know. It's not a science. <laughs> <laughs> it's an art. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you taught me a new word in your trend report, which is animoia. Mm. Uh, I probably said it wrong, but it's, it's the longing for things never known. Ooh. Which I think is a very Gen Z thing right now, particularly with the 90s. Mm. And I think, Nicole, very early in the season in New York, I don't remember where, I think we were in a car going somewhere, or we were just talking about collections, and you called out the mid-90s as like sort of a, a common thread in the mm. collections this season. 
I think that was probably because uh, Peter Doe was arriving mm-hmm. at Helmut Lang and it was the first time that brand had been on the runway in, in a minute. And uh, I, you know, lived through that moment and I feel he, Helmut Lang was sort of my baptism into high fashion. Uh, I was just getting my feet wet and learning about the sample sale phenomenon in New York. And, uh, you know, you could get great pieces for <laughs> less than 100 bucks, which is hard to do at a sample sale in 2023. So uh, the, the mid-90s for me are sort of uh, my my moment. And so I probably— I probably <laughs> My Roman Empire. I see them—I probably see them in more things than they, than they actually are. But I, I'm not alone in that. I mean, talk to anybody who, who, who was around in, yeah. in that moment, and we all sort of fetishize the, that minimal, um, you know, black tailoring that, that he was doing. Ended up getting a shout out on both Laird and I's trend reports. Um, I also do a menswear at Women's Wear. The men's looks at the Women's Wear collections, and there was a very mid '90s jacket that was a Helmut Lang jacket. Mm-hmm. That sort of a jacket silhouette that really repeated along most collections, and that was a tailoring silhouette of the season. I'm curious with you, Laird, as an archivist, what is your take on this nostalgia and particularly this animoia? Like, mm. I actually learned the word from my esteemed editor when I was writing an anti-nostalgia piece, which you mm-hmm. can still find on the site, and I still feel anti-nostalgia, which might seem incompatible with um, the idea of being an archivist. But I believe that we can only move forward. I mean, it really depends how you define nostalgia. But if you define it, as I think it was in the Greek, a return to something, Mm -hmm. that sounds a lot like MAGA to me. We can't go back. We must go forward. We must take things and move them forward. And I think nostalgia is a poison that is really running through fashion. We need to think about new things. We need to embrace technology. We need to move beyond a postmodern mix and really push. This is why someone like Duran Lantlake just explodes my mind. I'm so happy because it's an exploration of space, not outer space, but what the form can look like. It's not referential, but still... Like he's using – he's deconstructing a helmet Lang jacket from 1999 to make this new thing. So that's my kind of guy because it's using it's, – it's taking from the past but moving it forward. Fashion is supposed to be about what's next and please do not give me retrofuturism because to me that is not future. That is repetition Retro. again. <laughs> yeah, so n- anti-nostalgia from this um, and also anti-fashion. Controversial yet brave. And we're done. (laughs) You know, one of the trends of the moment is this uh, idea of redoing collections from Mm -hmm. the 90s. And um, I think you can only do it so many times before it feels, you know, like we must must move on, I would say. Yeah, do do it as a re-release, but don't mm-hmm. do it as your collection, yeah. I would say. And by anti-fashion, I was referring to the anti-fashion movement, movement. <laughs> um, which is a very 90s thing. Mm-hmm. It's essentially, to sum it up in a really simplistic way, it's come as you are. You know, wear what you look great in, what you feel most comfortable in. Be yourself in your clothes. Um, and they could be anything. But, you know, I think 
what in, one of the things that inspired an anti-fashion essay I did was in our legacy show where everyone just looked cool. It was like, who is that person? Not, oh, my God, what are you wearing? Mm-hmm. It wasn't about logos. It was about looking fresh. You What's know? our legacy, Laird? Uh, it's a it's a Swedish um, – it's a really cool Swedish independent brand that launched women's wear about five years ago and is styled by – incredible um, woman named Nico Walker, and it always just looks like how you would wear it and not yeah. um, not styled, even though it is. <laughs> it's funny, exactly. though, because I'm actually very, like, anti-re-releasing of clothes. I think one of the f- things I like the most about fashion is how they're, like, markers of, of a time. And so if you remake something now, I think you're sort of messing with the timeline. Mm-hmm. So I'm extremely anti. Like when Marc Jacobs redid the Periella's collection, a part of me was like, yes, I would love to have this dress or these pants, but I don't want the new version. I want the real one because that one means something. And this one is made for Instagram. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm old too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What would you say are markers of time based on the collections that we've just seen? Maybe in 10 years, maybe we'll look in hindsight and be like, oh, that was very 2023. I keep thinking of the sort of weirdly not fashion thing, but I keep thinking of like a TikTok trend, actually. Mm -hmm. It's how to dress like a Lower East Side TikTok trend, which is it's like early Y2K. You wear a low slung skirt that is just like a random low slung skirt. You wear uh, like a baby tee or a tank top. Mm -hmm. You wear cowboy boots. You wear a big messenger bag around your body. You wear big headphones. You wear a lot of jewelry. And it's very specific to me because it is so Y2K. But I think when I see the girlies now, one of the girls that works at GQ, mm-hmm. she is our fa- like my favorite like Gen Z style. She doesn't – it's not that she dresses like this every day. But when I see the way that she like layers a skirt over pants or puts clothes together, it feels very specifically like that to me. In a way, this both feels like a redux but also a, a- – a new thing. Yeah. Right? It also feels very insular to the Lower East Side, but it's also so viral on TikTok. Because so it's, it's, it's on a combination TikTok. of both things. Yeah. It's that's very interesting, Nicole. Uh, we can talk about all different kinds of shoes like all day long at Vogue, but what people are really wearing are sneakers. When yeah. I when I look around, people are really still uh, driven by comfort, mm-hmm. I think, in a way. Um, so I would say like a an expensive pair of sneakers is is also a really twenty twenty three thing. A Wales Bonner Adidas collaboration yep. <laughs> kind of vibe. Or at least sure, mm-hmm. right? Yes. What about you, Laird? Copycore. Copycore. Tell us more about Copycore. Everything we've been talking about, the Y2K, the ex-designer, mm-hmm. it's there. Can you name me something that looked really new? But I mean, what I would hope out of the trends that I yeah, wrote about true. is the elongated silhouette. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really fascinating that at the same time that JW was pulling things up to under the bus, but not on pier exactly, yeah. um, other designers were dropping the waist or, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it wasn't about the Y2K low waist. Like when you look at Duran, you know, the middle is filled, um, but this this really stretching both ways of the body I thought um, this attenuation is super interesting. I don't know if it will go anywhere except photographs, but that's something that excited me. I agree, actually. So Jonathan Anderson, for Lueve, for both his men's and women's collections, he hiked up the the waist of his 
trousers all the way down to the bust, which, all the way up to the and he underneath the, the bust. And he dropped the crutch, which I found very interesting. And what was also very interesting is that at the men's collections in Paris in June, both him and Rick Owens did that. And very differently, but like a day apart. And I think it was it was really the silhouette everyone was talking about. I think it was the one thing everyone was talking about in Paris other than Pharrell's um, LV debut. But that conversation was less about the clothes and more about the spectacle. The true silhouette was really just this hiked up trouser that felt new. Well, I want to ask you a question. Do you yeah. think men will adopt that silhouette? No. Well, I think now that he put it in women's wear, I found that a lot of the writers and a lot of the critics that I follow were a lot more interested and a lot more dazzled by by the silhouette in the women's wear than in the men's wear for different reasons. But I think the problem with men's wear, given that I write so much about it, is that it is a very insular conversation. What happens on the runway and what happens with celebrities very rarely gets to the, like, very rarely trickles down, right? Even on TikTok, when you see um, the girls Laya talks about, right, like all these girlies on TikTok dressing, um, they, you know, evoke, like, Prada shows. They try to, like, style themselves as they would see something in Saint Laurent. Like, they really follow the runway, and if not, a lot of those trends do trickle down. It doesn't happen in menswear. The general majority of guys on TikTok, the way they're dressing, it's sort of like a vintage tee, um, gym shorts, a Patagonia jacket, and like, you know, maybe like a vintage trucker hat and a pair of sneakers, right? It's sort of like combinations of the same things. The ones that are more fashionable don't really still fo- still don't follow trends um, or at least runway trends. And when you are, I live in Brooklyn, every morning when I'm coming from Crown Heights into the World Trade Center, Everyone, all these guys look exactly the same. And they've looked the same for the last couple of years, right? And I think that is what's interesting to me about menswear is that a lot of these trends are a completely, like, inside baseball conversation. Like, there's really, they never really trickle down. And when they do, it's never exactly what you expect. I feel it's like for men, it's about the width of a pant leg. Yeah. Like, that's the thing that actually changes. Because now I Mm -hmm. think when you see somebody wearing the very, very skinny jeans that people were wearing in the early aughts, you're like, whoa, Whoa. like that, it looks so out of place now. But what's still interesting about that is that, you know, my brother actually, so my brother is a journalist, he lives in Buenos Aires, and he actually texted me about this um, a few weeks ago, where he was like, what do I do with my skinny jeans? Because he loves a skinny jean. And he hates white pants. He was like, like, they make me look shorter. And I was (laughs) like, well, girl, I'm the wrong person to ask him. I I love everything wide. Um, And he's sort of like, you know, he's resistant like he doesn't want this change and the reality is that he's probably not going to change and i think that is the thing about menswear unlike womenswear where, where there's resistance there's no there's no encouragement to adapt right like you know these guys can still look the same that they did in 2007 and it's fine but isn't that freedom yes it's a freedom of choice and i think that's sort of what's exciting because Again, not to, like, put my brother in, (laughs) but he's getting married um, next year. And, you know, he was telling me, he's like, what what should I wear? And I was like, what do you want to look like? And he was like, I want to look like myself. And I was like, well, girl, then don't ask me. (laughs) But it's interesting, right? Because he doesn't feel a pressure to dress a certain way or to follow a certain kind of fashion. And, you know, he's looking at images of whether it's athletes or politicians or celebrities or whatever. And he doesn't, he's not like, oh, I should look like Jacob Elordi. You know, he doesn't, it's fine. And I think there's something so liberating about that, but it also makes the conversations about menswear in fashion a little bit interesting and challenging because we, ha- when we write about them, we have to consider 
who we're actually talking to. But I do think it's interesting that you bring on athletes because I think the fact that athletes are now doing their little like walks to court mm-hmm. where various their various courts and they're all wearing like yeah they're, they're all in fashion. The tunnel walk has and become that's a big really thing. interesting because I think before men wouldn't be exposed to this capital F fashion yeah. unless they purposefully sought it out and they were like, I'm interested to know about fashion. And now what's happening is they're being exposed to it. Like it's meeting them where they are. Mm-hmm. Travis Kelsey was wearing Kalina Strada the other day walking into court. I love that. And I, think I love that. I think, it. I think we're going to see it. But what's interesting is that he's still wearing cargo pants. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know? because cargo pants are cool. Exactly. <laughs> they're um, trending for yeah. sure. Exactly. Oh, so. thank God. They've been trending for four seasons. Give me a <laughs> Story anyway, coming soon. Exactly. Coming soon to Vogue.com. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. The Run for Revoke is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. The show is produced by Susie Lechtenberg, Chelsea Daniel, and Alex John Burns. It's engineered by Jake Loomis and Gabe Kiroga and mixed by Mike Kutchman. See you soon. Bye. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com.